Well, we want to welcome those that are online with us today. I promised a gentleman named Jeff Boo Brantley that I'd welcome him in from Albuquerque, New Mexico. But it doesn't matter if it's someone out of state or in state, whether it be Kim and Renee Williamson that are always tuned in with us on Sunday morning or whoever it may be. We want to welcome those that are joining us through our telecast today. And uh, obviously we welcome you as well. Well, we promised that we would be, as we walk through these last few weeks of these life lyrics, lyrics for life that we would start bringing you now some very well-known psalms. The first uh, four or five weeks, we probably looked at some psalms, not that you've never heard of, but probably psalms that you are not as familiar with. And so today I'm gonna invite you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 91. Psalm 91. Now, we would not lay Psalm 91 on the same shelf with Psalm 23 and some of the others, but we certainly would make it a close neighbor because Psalm 91 has brought so much encouragement to so many lives. Last week, we looked at kind of wading through some troubled waters. Now, today, I'm going to bring you from God's Word some encouraging words around this subject of life assurance. Now you have to look at that carefully, not life insurance, but life assurance. And so as we look at this passage today, now let me just uh, kind of share with you a little bit of a challenge that we have and where your pastor is on this challenge. When you come to Psalm 91, immediately in verse number one, the Bible gives us this particular element that just confronts us. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Now, we have a question there that immediately, verse 1, we just read a few words and there it is. What is this shelter? Where is this shelter? And many in traditional scholarship would suggest, well, that's an easy answer. You only have to go down to verse number 4 and you can see the answer. Others would suggest that coupled with going back to the book of Deuteronomy, where God makes this incredible, uh, gives us this incredible imagery that God is hovering over the nation of Israel, these wings. Now, we certainly know that's a common theme in the book of Ruth, your pastor's favorite book. Now, that certainly is the case, but is that what is being referenced here? And let me just share with you, I would go against the grain here in traditional scholarship. I do not believe that this particular uh, verse or these verses coupled together are, are necessarily resonating with that imagery. In fact, I'm going to invite you today, get your fingers ready. We'll stay right here in the book of Psalms. M maybe after I share with you several of these little verses, you'll join me. I believe that this place of shelter is in the holy of holies. And here's why I believe that. Look with me in the book of, in, in the book of Psalm, Psalm 27 in the verse 4. Would you turn there just quickly? Psalm 27 and verse 4. Listen to this pattern that goes really throughout the Psalms. I've, I've just picked three or four of these. One is very compelling, but all of them bring us to this, I think, the same conclusion. Psalm 27 and verse 4. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may 
dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Now quickly, just a few Psalms over, turn to Psalm 36. And Psalm 36, would you scroll down to verse number seven? Now listen to those pages turning, isn't that wonderful? Now somebody's got Pac-Man on, I heard that a moment ago as well. No Pac-Man on your phones today, all right? Psalm 36 and verse seven and eight. Listen to this incredible passage, these, these two verses. How priceless is your unfailing love, O God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. You said, wait now, pastor. I thought, I thought you were a holy of holies, guys, not the imagery of the bird. <laughs> Keep reading. They feast on the abundance of your house. Did you get the connection there? The abundance of your house. Notice that imagery sitting right next to the house. You give them drink from your river of delights. But finally, Psalm 61, verse 4, and that really just sews it up for me completely. Psalm 61 and verse 4. Here's what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 61 and verse 4. I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. Take refuge in your shelter of your wings. Could it be that this is not so much exclusively just imagery of a mother bird taking care of its flock. Certainly we have that shrouded all over the passage. But could there be, at least in Psalm 91, clear direction that this really is a reference to the Holy of Holies and this other analogy around the wings are a comprehensive part of it. Certainly don't want to lose fellowship with someone over it. They're really, I, I, I don't know that it's a do or die moment, but we will proceed today as we look at these incredible verses. Now we know that the, along that same line, that that very ark itself was, had these two winged creatures, the cherubim that sat atop looking and watching over the very covenant, God's law. We know that, and as we look at these verses today, I want us to focus not so much on the imagery or exactly the location, but these assurances. When you leave today, I hope you leave, and if we were to ask, in fact, I'm gonna ask a few people as you go out the door today, I'll be back under the columns. They say it's safe to be under the columns, so I'll be under the columns, and I'm gonna ask a few of you today, hey, what do you take from the service today? And I hope you're gonna to respond to me today in this way. Pastor, I take four incredible assurances of my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you just come today because it was Sunday and it was time to go to church? Or did you come to this place with a purpose? And so if we did come with our purpose to worship God and to seek from him what he would share to our hearts today, would he be willing to impart to us on this Lord's day these four incredible truths? how God places us under the shadow of his wings, how he places us in the shelter, his own shelter in the holy of holies, 
And by the way, when we are under God's protection, it's the safest place to be in the whole world. Aren't you thankful that Psalm 91 is a psalm of confidence? It is a psalm that gives us incredible, wonderful assurances. By the way, in the New Testament, the counterpart to Psalm 91 would have to be John 15, where Jesus said, I want you to abide in me. Because these assurances in this psalm is really wrapped up in fellowship and communion and obedience. So today, very quickly, I just want to lay out those four assurances for you, and I want you to get them down. I want you to jot them down and take them with you today. Let's read a few verses from this psalm. We won't read the entire psalm. Let's go back to verse 1 and read read through verse 3. And then just for the sake of time, we'll move to the real focal verses at the very end of the chapter. Here's what Psalm 91 says. Here's what God's word records for us. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from deadly pestilence. Just for the sake of time, move to verse number 14. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Now, very quickly, let's just pick up there in verse number 14, and let's jot down the first of these four incredible assurances. The first assurance that's given to us is is a very simple one, and that is surrounding this theme of protection. The first thing that we as the reader come to understand is there is more than ample, there is sufficient protection when we are under the covering of God's incredible protection. You know, that must have meant so much to these first century and prior to first century followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you back up and go all the way deeper into the Old Testament, in other words, going backward in time from the coming of our Lord and Savior to what we know as Old Testament days, this must have resonated with them to be protected because Palestine was a a small nation and the Israelite people were not warlike people and yet they were surrounded by all kinds of enemies, all kinds of warlike people. When they went into the promised land, do you remember some of the incredible promises that God gave his people? He said, let me just tell you some of the things. If you'll cross over the Jordan and you'll inhabit this promised sacred land that I have prepared for you, I'm going to do a number of things for you. All you have to do is obey me, follow my word, follow my commands, stay yoked with me and in my covenant, and I'm going to do a number of things for you. He says, for instance, you go into that new land and you're always going to have good rains. It's going to rain over there. And you'll have great crops. God went on and told the people, and if you're attacked 
or you have to have invasion as I give command, you understand that one of your men will chase a thousand of the others away. That's how I will empower you. And those diseases that you so hated over there in Egypt, 400 years you endured those Egyptian diseases. Those are not going to follow you into the promised land. I'll keep them away from you and your cattle. They will be fertile. They'll have young. Even your own families will be blessed and they'll blossom. And your families will multiply and there'll be precious stones. You'll find in this new land iron and silver and precious materials but we know that the children of God, even though God was honoring his pledges, his promises, the children of God continued to fall away from him. And so God would use all kinds of means and methods to try to bring a message back to his children. Now in the New Testament, we don't have such a pledge. We don't have such a promise. But you know, when you look at this Psalm all together, all, all 15 or 16 verses, I counted 11 of these this week. There's at least 11 methods that God protects that's mentioned here. Pestilence, war, snares, destruction of noonday, fear. And, and we've got to understand that what God's communicating even with us as New Testament followers is when we encounter difficulty, we do not have to be afraid. Our God, even in this day and time, gives us great protection. It's not so much what happens to us physically that's important, but what happens to us spiritually. Did you notice over there in verse 13? By the way, let me just take a little side journey here because I'm the pastor and I can. Someone today was joking, uh, not today, but this week in, that down in our office area. It, it wasn't any of our employees, but we had a guest here in the building and they were talking to some of our employees and, and they were joking about the devil. Let, let, me, let me tell you something. The devil's not anyone to be joking about. You, you older folks, we don't have any old people here. We, some of you mature folks. Well, you can't say everybody that's older is mature either. You ancient ones. No, well, whatever the term would be. We, we remember someone used to say on television what? The devil made me. Well, that's true sometimes. But we need to be careful about joking about the devil. You do understand that the devil wants to kill you. The devil will kill you if he can. That's how serious this is. Our Bible says he's come to maim, to kill, to destroy. When these when these irrational people break into these schools with weapons and mow down 10, 20, 30 students and faculty, Satan delights in that. And if it weren't for the incredible power of God restraining him, he would kill us all. I remind you about a whole book in your Bible called Job. If you remember, God said the same thing in that moment. You do anything to old Job you want, but you're not going to take his life. You will not take his life. Now, you may take his children. You may take his fame and his fortune. But you'll not take his life and you won't take his future. And we got to understand, we need to be careful. 
See, God's protection, when you get over to verse 13, we, we didn't read that a moment ago, you will tread on the lion and the cobra and you'll trample on the great lion and the serpent. We know from our New Testament who the lion is, it's Satan. We know who the serpent is from our Old Testament, it's Satan. And again, it's just a word of authority that God says, hey, in me, under my protection, there'll be no one that can come against you. He hides us. That's the refuge. He helps us. That's the strength. All right, you got that first one, sufficient, sufficient protection. Now jot this second one down. And before you even jot it down, can I just say, I have great concern about what I'm about to share. So I'm going to ask that some of you disengage from your slumber because what I'm about to communicate to you can be extremely difficult. So I need you to focus. If you want to drift off in point three or four, go ahead. But not here. Number two, we have this assurance, jot it down, answered prayer. Answered prayer. Go back to verse number uh, 15. He will call on me and I will what? What's the promise there? And I will answer him. I just can't tell you how many times in my ministry someone has come to me and said, Pastor, I prayed and God didn't answer it. I can't tell you. I mean, there's so many times I can't even really bring up one because there, there's got to be hundreds of these just in my pastoral ministry where people would say, hey, Pastor, I'm walking through this and I don't feel like God hears me. I just want to share a number of things when it comes to prayer that I think are so important. When we see these kind of passages, man, they're certainly true, but you've got to understand the full magnitude of what God is communicating here through the psalmist. I remind you that Jesus says, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, then, then, then whatever you ask shall be done. How's the King James say? Shall be done unto you. In other words, for you. And how many times people have read that and said, you know, that's the reason, Pastor, I don't go to church anymore. That's, that's the reason that I don't believe God is really God. I, I, I don't believe there is a God. I believe it's a hoax. I believe it's a spiritual Santa Claus. Well, why do you believe that? Because I prayed and asked, and the Bible says directly, he'll answer. And you know what? God didn't answer. I didn't hear anything. In fact, I didn't even sense God's presence around me. And can I just suggest, if your dumb, stuttering, bumbling pastor happens to be correct and that the anchor of this passage really is the holy of holies. I would suggest you and that alone could be our answer. You see, when we pray, there's really no shortcuts in prayer. I would suggest to you that in order to get to the Holy of Holies, you have to go through the whole tabernacle to get there. Walk it with me for just a moment. As we start approaching that outer court, we start to see something called nothing more than the altar of the what? The burnt offering. 
That's one of the first things that catches our attention. There it is, several feet by several feet there. The Bible tells us what? Four by five top. Hey, hey, that's where they would what? Lay the animals. That's where these burnt offerings and sacrifices would take place. Why was that taking place? Because it's the essence of what? When you're saved, there has to be what? A blood sacrifice. It speaks to our salvation. As believers when we pray. But the whole shroud around that burnt offering speaks of surrender. Us being willing to make that offering and surrender our lives. If we keep walking a little further, the next big object we would see is that incredible laver. The big brass, if you will, sink. A big water vat there where the priests, they would never go into any of these sacred places without washing their hands and their feet. They were meticulous about that. And again, as we make it our way to the Holy of Holies, we would have to pass by there and abide by that. It represents cleansing. But we're not done. As we go through that court of the Gentiles and finally get into that incredible special place, really referred to with, with no, no other illusion of, other than just the holy place, that little, that little quarter, if you will, outside of the holy of holies, there it was, the holy place had three pieces of furniture. You remember what they were. There was that lampstand there that had those wicks and that oil that was burning, representing the Holy Spirit. And there there was that table with the showbread, 12 loaves of bread representing the 12 tribes. And there was that golden altar, a, a small little altar that was what? The altar of the incense. And you're starting to get the picture. Keep the light burning. To get to the Holy of Holies, there's no shortcuts. You don't sneak in the back door. You have to make your way from front to center point back. And you have to go through each of these meticulous stations. And you know, when it comes to prayer, I know so many people in their prayer lives ask God for things. And they follow up with the statement, well, God didn't answer my prayer. God didn't grant my prayer. He didn't give me what I wanted. And I would just suggest to you, so often we ask for some of the most ridiculous things. If you're a parent here today, because I won't even ask you as a child some of the ridiculous things that you, that you did or asked for, because that would be too embarrassing to you. But we certainly can embarrass the pastor today. That would be okay, wouldn't it? Like when I'm 11 years old and I ask my father, can I have a motorcycle? What do you want for Christmas? A motorcycle. Because my friend up the street got a motorcycle. I never will forget my dad's response. You don't need a motorcycle. Yes, I do. You're forgetting that I'm 11 years old. And dad says, oh, I haven't forgotten you're 11. 
but you're not going to have a motorcycle. My response, you don't love me. You're ancient. You don't understand. Dad says, son, you're still not going to get a motorcycle. I said, then I'm going out in the backyard and eating some worms. And he said, that'll be a great thing. Amazing protein in those things I hear. How many times have you and I not even prepared in our hearts for prayer? How many times have we, even if we prepared, asked for the most ridiculous? What is God doing? He's building character. What is the parent doing? He or she is building character. As my father would tell me, you're too young to enjoy that. In which I would always respond, well, I'm older than you think that I am. In which he would always respond, no, you're younger than you think you are. There's no sneaking in the back door of the tabernacle. There's no going under the canvas or the tent of the old tabernacle. Just one way in to the destination. And you and I are called in our prayer lives to go by the what? The ordained route that our God has laid out before us. The other day I was in one of these stores here in Longview and I hadn't seen this before. It's a pretty new store, and I guess city codes are constantly changing. And I asked one of the young ladies that was working in this store, I said, wow, that's quite a box there. On the wall was one of those emergency boxes like for fire. Now, I've seen this in Chicago. Each year I try to go see the Notre Dame Fighting Irish play a football game. And so I've seen this all over Chicago, especially in the high rises. But I haven't seen it in Longview till just the last few days. But in, these glass, in this glass box, it had a, a big old axe, it had a hose, it had a lever that you pulled, and it just said, emergency, break the glass, pull the lever. Now, I was thinking, and then it didn't say this, but I thought, and then get out of here quickly kind of thing. Surely they weren't suggesting take the axe and go fight the fire. And I feel like that's what we do sometimes in our prayer lives. In case of an emergency, pray. As a last resort, pray. And again, no preparation. You see, prayer is a moment by moment, day by day, what? Communication with our God. Understand that living in the Holy of Holies is an everyday experience. Well, we got to move on. You've got that sufficient protection. You've got that answer to prayer. Number three, we've got to hurry. I just want to show you this promise, this assurance. You've got to take this one with you. And that is God's unshakable presence. He's there. He is there. Man, how important is it for us to have a God that's there with us? You young parents that hear my voice, there's nothing greater than you can give your kids. Certainly the word of God and spiritual direction. But I'm telling you, there's nothing better that you can give them. Nothing greater, nothing superior than you investing your personal time 
Josh sent me a text this week. He said, I'm going to be a few minutes late to staff. And so I started getting my red pen out, about to write him a demerit, you know. And uh, I said, well, you know, and all of a sudden, here comes a second one. We're at the dentist office. Well, Josh, you should have made your appointment later. And then the rest of the text, two kids. And when I hear that, my heart melts. When I go out here to uh, uh, some of our kids' baseball games or soccer games, and I look up there, and there's all the parents and their grandparents. Man, I just stop watching the game for the most part. You ever seen a five-year-old play soccer? No need to watch the game. It's just a bunch of ants chasing the ball around. You know what I'm saying? I'm applauding the parents. Yes. Can you imagine having a God that was not there with us. And the word of God says, look at this. I I want you to see it in verse 15. I will be with him in trouble. That second statement following it suggests even in the good times, our God will be there. I'll honor him. I'll be with him in these noble days, these good days. Some people believe that We don't have any trouble. Remember us talking about that last week? I shared with you a statement I heard Jerry Falwell make years ago. I didn't know where I believed it at first, that when we became Christians, really life gets tougher because now we're swimming upstream from where we were in pagan life. So many believe that Christians don't have any trouble. I just show you again for the second time that our God's words were, I'm going to be there in trouble. That doesn't suggest, that tells us and anchors, we will have trouble in our lives. Our Lord and Savior said that on multiple occasions. You will have, you'll be overcome at times with trouble in your life. But don't fear, because I am with you always. You know, oftentimes this trouble we bring on ourselves. Can I hear a baby amen? Just just a baby amen. Many times the troubles that we find, we bring it on ourselves. And in those cases, we've just got to go to the Father and say, Father, hey, I've been a rebellious one here. I got ahead of you or I did something that was clearly outside the bounds of what you require of me and expect of me and hope for me. And with that, how can I return to the Holy of Holies? How can I get back up under those wings of refuge? And here's something that I think is so significant for you to write down. When the child of God is in the will of God, God is always with him. When you and I are in the holy of holies, when the child of God is in the will of God, God is always with him. Can I go a step further? Of course we can. The scripture allows us to. You and I are, we are immortal in the will of God until your work is done. No one can touch you when you're in the will of God. I don't care how tough it gets, how difficult the days may be. Even when it comes to our own death, as we had all those funerals yesterday. We do believe, don't we? The Bible teaches us that there's an appointed time for a man to die. Now, there's some things we can do to hasten that. But there's nothing you and I can do to elongate that time. We can never go beyond it. 
And I remind you that Satan is a real enemy. He will kill us if he can. Now notice this element of presence is really linked back. Go back up there to verse 14. In fact, I drew a green arrow in my Bible. Uh, I, I will be with him in trouble. And I just put a green arrow back up there to the end of verse 14. Because, you know, it said something unique there. It says, for he acknowledges my name. It's this concept that when we are in the Holy of Holies, when we're covered by God's incredible protection, that, that one of the things that, we, that God senses and feels from us is when we acknowledge his name. If you look back at the early part of this psalm, just an extra here, no charge, go back to verse 1 and 2 of Psalm 91. There we see four incredible names for God. I mean, the psalmist opens up with this concept of naming. Do you see right there in verse number one, the most high. Our God is, is, is referred to by name there as the most high. Do you remember where the first time God's ever referred to in our Bible as the most high? It's back, way back over there in Genesis 14. It revolves around the life of a man named Abraham who had been locked up in war with Sodom and different people in battles. And there were pressures. And, and in his response to these pressures, the Bible says he lifted up his hands to the heavens and he says, I'm not giving you anything because I'm here under the authority of the God most high. That's the God that is assuring us. He is the God that wins the battle for us. He's the most high God. Look back there in verse number one. He's also the God Almighty. Did you see that name referring to God there? Almighty God. That's also first used in Genesis, also with Abraham. In that moment when God says, hey, Abraham, you and Sarah are going to have a baby. <laughs> and, and you remember what they did. They, they did what? Their response was laughter. And you remember in the middle of that discourse and discussion? Again, the first time God's ever referred to is, God, I believe that you can do that. The God Almighty. Rendered there, he's the God far above. He's the God of far exceeding any other, the God Almighty. Look in verse 2. Do you have caps in that word Lord there? Our God is referred to in all caps as Lord, rendered there out of the Hebrew language, Jehovah. It means covenant or promise one. Again, there's a name for God. He's our Lord, all caps, our faithful one, our covenant one, our Jehovah. He's faithful. Did you see another name for God in verse 2? Have you already found it? My God. That name, my God. My God means, again, God in lowercase, the strong one. I remind you, God's not against you. He's not far from you. He is with you. If we're really transparent today, we would all probably fall before on our knees today and say, God, there have been some times that I felt like you weren't there. Probably every one of us in here has felt that at some point in our life. God, we, we didn't feel anything. We didn't feel like you were there. You know what I found about that sensation? Many times it's when God is the closest to me that I have the most difficulty recognizing that he's even there. 
People tell me all the time, Pastor, I don't feel like, boy, there's the key. I don't feel like God's with me. And I always respond, you know, I've had those feelings as well, well, but I've learned not to trust my feelings. My feelings have always from time to time failed me. They've got me in trouble. What I believe is what God says, what he stated. And the Bible says, I will be with him. I will be with you. Let me show you a quick key. Go back to verse number two. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God. Here it is, in whom I trust. Do you see that? We feel God when we're able to make that promise in whom I trust. There's the faith element. And when you couple that back over here with verse 14, for he, uh, because he loves me. You see that at the first part of verse 14? When we take our faith and we understand and, and, and yoke it with love, there we have it. It's quite amazing. The wonderful connection of God's presence. Quickly, last thing. Fourth assurance. Jot it down. Ample provision. Ample provision. The Bible ends Psalm, the Psalm 91 by, with this incredible statement, with long life. NIV translates it, with long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. And to the Jewish people, that really probably meant one thing. You live a long time. There's longevity. You live many years. But the idea here in the Hebrew language is much broader than that. In fact, the idea is a full life. In fact, our Old Testament tells us that Abraham died full of years. Really, the meaning here is not so much that we live to be 90 or we live to be 100, but the verse in as a whole, where it says, and he will show you his, uh, show, you will show him my salvation. When, when you look at the verse as a whole, it really suggesting a satisfying life. The Christian has a full life, an efficient life, a life full of accomplishments. It's as if God's taking a beaker here and he pours into our existence, not just quantity of life, length, but an incredible quality of life and he's funneling that through us into our lives those two things together and he's pouring in to 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 the very believer this provision of enrichment and enjoyment and enablement now on your outline back up there under section one some of you are looking and you said i think the pastor forgot something And you couldn't be more wrong. You just hang tight for a moment. Yesterday, as I was standing at one of these funerals, I I, I was just thinking for a moment. I guess as we get older, we think more about these kind of things how this particular individual was so important to the family, she was the glue. 
kind of like Miss Gwendolyn Nash when she passed from this earth. And the Lord says, I'm through with you, Miss Gwendolyn. Come on to me now. She was a real glue for that family. And uh, as I was just waiting there and people were exiting, I was just thinking, watching the family pass by. Man, she's really going to be missed. And these last days for that family have been tough. I don't know what it is, but God in Oakland Heights realm, just in our fellowship in this New Testament body, not talking about other people in Longview, not talking about other churches, not talking about the world, not talking about global statistics. But there's two things that seemingly are out of balance, I think a little bit, or at least I feel that way, I perceive them that way, when it comes to hardship in our church family. One of those is the astronomical amount of people that have Parkinson's in our church. I mean, for a church of membership our size, it is incredible how many people in this fellowship are afflicted with Parkinson's. And the other thing that I know that's widespread, but man, I just think we got our share plus some are those that are battling this dementia, this Alzheimer's. And this week, I picked up again Leonard Sweet's book 11. And in that book, I, I had underlined, gosh, 11, 12 years ago, that incredible story where Sweet talks about his mother's digression with memory loss and how painful it was. And Sweet said it just started with things like she would just be forgetful. And then it, then it progressed, really it digressed into a whole nother set of challenges. And, and finally to the point she couldn't drive and she would get lost. And, 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 and Sweet said it, it all came to a point for him when after about five or six years of this, he goes into this center where they've had to put her, his mom, and she looks at him and she says, who are you? Are you the doctor? And Leonard Sweet says, man, that's when it just ripped my heart out. He says, I pulled up an old wooden chair that was in the corner of her room, and he said, I just laid my head over on my mom's bed, took her hand, and put her hand on my head and said, Mom, it's me, it's Lenny, it's Leonard, I'm your son. And I know that I speak today to a number of people that are dealing with this, the challenge of it. And so for these assurances, God's protection. Maybe Leonard Sweet, as he laid his head down on that bed, <laughs> and put his mother's hand there, maybe that's how he felt. Like, God, I thought you had my back. 
for the prayer dimension. Maybe we're not in a place to be asking. Maybe we're just doing it in some emergency capacity. Or maybe we're asking for the wrong thing at the wrong time. We're not ready. We can't experience fulfillment in that. And and we sense out of that movement, out of those challenges that God's not there, he's not answering. Or maybe it's the presence issue. Or maybe it's just that God has not provided as we've asked him. But on that one that we've supposedly forgotten, I just remind you of something that is incredibly important. It's a simple concept, but I want you to jot it down. God does not protect us to pamper us, but to prepare us. God does not protect us to pamper us, but to prepare us. And can I just finish the Leonard Sweet moment? Nine years, 11 months, and two days into this diagnosis of Leonard's mom, Mrs. Sweet finally went on to be with the Lord. In the last days, Leonard writes as an epilogue, even in the moments that my mom knew who no one was. She had lost complete capacity to understand what day of the week, what time of the day it was. She remembered nothing long-term or short-term. He said just six minutes before her death, his mother uttered these words, the Lord is my shepherd and I will not want. He said even in those last few moments of her earthly life when existence was enclosing on her, when she remembered nothing else, her mind and heart had been so marinated in the word of God that that's all that continued that could even possibly begin to come out. And it is with that that I leave you this morning. The assurances of God. Let's pray together. Lord, we are just so thankful for your presence and we're so thankful for these moments that we have each week to just come together, gather together around your word, around praise and worship, and around other believers. Father, there's something very special when your believers gather together and we really just as a celebration from the week, it's really just an outpouring. It's an afterglow, if you will, of all the things that you have done in our hearts. It's all the things that you have tucked away throughout the week. It's the blessings that you poured into our life. It's the challenges that you've helped us endure. It's the moments of physical exhaustion. It's those moments when mentally we say we can't go any further. It's those kind of moments that we come here to celebrate. We made it. And Father, we put a parenthesis around we because we know it's really not we, but it's you. 
You allowed us to make it. It was your energy. It was your sustaining ability. You, God Almighty, you, God, Lord, with all caps, my God, the Almighty One. So, Father, as we exit this place in a few moments, we do so assured and confident that you are our God and you are there. Remind us from time to time, nudge us back to that center point that we are selfish by the very nature of who we are. And it's your transformational work in us that brings us to you. And Father, if there be someone here today that has never come to you by trusting you in faith, turning away from their sins and to you for life ahead, I would pray that today they might open their heart and invite Jesus to live in them. And Father, it's that work after beginning that relationship that transforms us and sustains us. But even in that covenant with you, we are apt to falter and fail. And so, Father, these assurances resonate with the believer that's here today. Because we so readily understand those moments when we don't feel like we're protected, but we're vulnerable. We don't feel like you hurt us because we don't sense you answered. We don't feel like you're there. We don't feel like you're going to provide. And Father, in those moments, if we could just go back and put together, we will trust you. And we connect that with your love for us and our love for you. That faith and love, when those are joined together, they are sustaining elements and essentials. Father, we love you. Thank you for being in this place with us today and these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.